Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yo, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast. I've got Danny Winter-Bates, the singer of Barry Tomorrow, with us today. And he gets real. We talk about the real stuff, about working with people in the music industry, how it's all about direct fan communication and reasons of mental health behind who he is and what he does. Danny works at the NHS. He was the perfect guest to get on this show. He's got a dual career, as he says it, between the NHS and Barry Tomorrow. And his whole story behind working there is amazing and, and quite inspirational, really. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with friends, review it and subscribe, give it some good ratings on iTunes, anything that can make it look better. I'm doing a drive right now. If, you, if you've been listening to a couple of the recent episodes, I've been doing a big ask of you to, to help the show, to help get more listeners so we can get some more guests on. So sorry about that, but also thank you so much for doing it. I really appreciate it. East London Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, recently Sports Team, and also The Darkness. They've made a new beer for The Darkness called Bell's End this Christmas. If you want to order any beers directly to your house, go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, and using the voucher code 101podcast, you can get 10% off all your orders. So here's Danny from Berry Tomorrow. Their new record, Cannibal, came out earlier this year. You already know how hard it rips. And now, here he is, talking about a lot of the stuff that went on behind it. Cheers. Go well. We are you are kind of the perfect band for the podcast, partly because the length of time that you've been going. Would it be fair to say that it hasn't always been easy? Yeah, and I think, I mean, in regards to, like, being a sustainable band, like, yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough, you know? It's It's... Music industry is not certainly not what you know when you put it down on paper. When you're you know when I joined the band, I was 16 years old, I and mean, if I'd have thought like this is the music industry and this is a level of success and that's what that success means, I mean it's not really, it's definitely not that reality. But I do also think that's an element of growing up as well. Like you, you know, we all we all live within our means, don't we? And I think for some people, their means, you know, as you get more and more success. Um, your vista of opportunity for means kind of grows. So you've got to just be careful of that, especially within the creative industry as well. In virtually every other job, you know, you can graph extra hard, you can be super nice to your boss, you can do whatever's within your means to to help yourself grow. And you can quite often see yourself, you know, growing in your situation and, you know, moving up the ladder or whatever. Is That's not the case in music, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think... It's. I always call it the world's longest apprenticeship because generally you know, you're always learning, aren't you? And you're always growing. And I think, you know, especially, you know, you're in an industry where you gain a massive amount of, you know, worldwide recognition, which we have got, you know, regardless of where people think us on the standings of big bands. Like if I look back now retrospectively to where we started, I would, I would call us a, a massive band. You know, I would have been like, you know, touring worldwide, have toured most continents on the planet um, and will comfortably play in front of a thousand people a night without worrying, you know, and, and 
to me, I would sit there and go incredibly successful band. So, but in that, as I said before, you, you kind of akin that to wealth and, you know, freedom to do what you want and, and a level of stability, you know, and, and I think, I think in all industries, there's a realization of that stability is only a paycheck away, you know, or, and especially in the music industry and any art industry, it's subjective, isn't it? So one day we could be on top, the next day we could really, we could bottom out and, and people don't like us anymore. And, and, you know, that's, that's the difficulty that I think we try and navigate. And as well as the emotional aspect for a lot of people, you know, nine to five jobs are nine to five jobs. They, they are a means to, to the end, which is, getting money and getting security and supporting their family and moving on, you know, and then they find all the other stuff alongside of that, which makes them happy and, you know, get serves the other needs. Whereas I think music industry and, um, and the art industry in general is you've got that difficulty where this is, you know, your life, this is your passion, this is your freedom. Um, and when those two things entwine, it can become quite difficult to navigate because you've got the emotional connotations that run along with that as well as, the financial and business connotations that happen or reality that happens as well. So it's quite a different um, mix or certainly a a cooking pot of different ideologies, you know? It's got to be confusing for a lot of people who start bands because they're really into that kind of music. They're really into metal or, or punk and they start a band and before they know it, that's their kind of main thing that they're doing day to day. So what once was a, a big hobby that would help them escape from their other usual work or school life, now, you know, that thing is taken over and that's their main thing. Do you think you need a, another hobby to keep your mind in check, to keep you happy? Are you going to start going golfing? <laughs> um, no, I just think you need to change your vista of what you get out of it. You know, like for me, the appreciation is the part that transcends through the love of playing music. You know, you start, you're absolutely right because you love music and you want to play music and the excitement drags you there. But really, you know, it's about appreciating what we've got, you know, actually in the fact that we can moan about the industry and we can moan about all the bollocks that runs alongside of it. Well, then on the flip side of that, we're in a position, an incredibly privileged and lucky position to be able to moan about that because actually we've gained success. We've, you know, we've, We've released, if I look back now and I look at accolades, which we don't tend to do when you're in the moment, but, you know, three top 40 records, one top 10 record in the UK, like um, Cannibal top top 10 in three countries. Like it's it's mental. And, and that kind of stuff is where you go, wow, okay, that's that's a real success there. And, and, and that's the stuff you hold on to. And, you know, arguably over this year, that's the difficulty really for us. We love playing shows. I don't care whether it's in front of 200 people or, or 200,000 people. Like it, it's, it, that's what we do it for. And, and, um, and people have always said, you know, people that are outside of the music industry often say like, oh, um, you know, don't you get bored of playing the same songs every night? And, and I always say like, well, no, because the shows are all different. Every show is different. Every reaction's different. Every moment's different. And, every feeling's different, you know? And so they're the differences. The, the playing the songs are playing the songs. But I think you're right. I think it's that that's what you start. You know, you want to write a song and you want to perform that song and you want to put that song out there and see what people think of it. But once that's kind of done and settled, well, then you have to move your vista of, of um, purpose to a different place, you know? And actually, for me, that's connecting and talking and being part of, of the culture of, of music, you know? And, and as we go on and we get older in our career and and now, you know, 13, 14, going to be 15 years into the game, 
but now also seeing the, another opportunity of purpose, which is inspiring younger bands to come forward and, and step into the light, you know, which I think is a, a great, a great moment for, for any musician to be able to say, wow, okay, we had an impact, you know, we had an impact on that genre or that style of music or that opportunity for younger bands. And, and that's an immensely um, humbling place to be. Have you had to learn to get smart? Because every band has to be smart to, to do their business well, right? Yeah, man. It's the, the, but that's the annoying part of it, isn't it? The politics and the business are the worst bit about any business. It's the, it's the bit that, that you grit your teeth to and you've got to get through. But yeah, we've had to be smart, but we've also been stupid. So, you know, you learn, you learn from your mistakes. By no means haven't we, we uh, am I saying we haven't been the band that's come off a tour and split the profits and off we go, like happy as Larry with a load of cash. Like, no, we've done that, but we've also realised that this is a, you know, you have a finite amount of time as a band, regardless of whether that's 10 albums or one album, like you have a finite career. It's like being a sportsman or a sportswoman. Like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an element there that you know your career is limited and it's limited to the people that like your music, which is an incredibly hard thing to do because you just hope you're always on that bit of knife edge and that's the anxiety of it. But yeah, you do have to be smart. You have to think about sensible business moves without um, jeopardizing the integrity of your band or your music, you know. It must be exciting and somewhat scary as well. The fact that you're you're forging your own path and, well, by creating your own craft. And that's such an individual thing. It is, man. But then also it's, it's an art in a sense of, you know, when you're when you're in another role or another job and you know luckily i have got another job as well as as being in a band like not that it's even needed but it's just something that i've been passionate about like you you are individually on your own journey anyway you know in any industry you're on your own journey in a band it's a bit odd because you're not on your own journey you're on a five members journey plus managers plus labels if you have them like so you're on this journey that is intrinsically linked plus fans like so you're in you're all linked with this kind of movement of, you know, sound. And like, if you think about like styles and things, we've had to be current because if we're not, we become irrelevant, you know? So actually we're influenced by what's around us and the, the people that are big and, and set in the you know genre or the game, or we're influenced by production. We're influenced by technology. We're influenced by politics and finances. So weirdly in the music industry, you feel like you're part of this kind of river and yeah, you can claw forward and you can, you know, be at top of the tree, but you just generally feel this motion of like music, you know, and and that can be a really freeing experience. And also when it comes to the politics and stuff like that, it can feel really um, disenfranchising because I think you can sit there and go, well, why are you invested in our band? Because I know why we are. We've just spoken about why all five members are invested in our band because we love making music. We love connecting with people. We love playing shows. So you become a little bit in places jaded by why do you want part of this pie, you know, and, and why do you want to be on this? What, you know, is it to sell something? Is it to take something from us? Is it to influence us in some way? And so that's where the, the politics get really hard because in a normal job, you could kind of say, well, that's just the game. You know, everyone's trying to make money. Everyone's trying to get forward. Everyone's trying to do their thing. It, yeah. Without the emotion, you know, whereas, 
with the band it's such a personal thing it's like this is our album this is our band this is what we decided it to be we didn't hand over those rights all those years ago and say well you write for us and we'll just be the fronts of that you know we write the songs we act the songs these are us they're blood sweat and tears and i think there's a there's an element then of um pain sometimes that comes out of the politics which is like you nobody will ever in you know nobody will ever understand what it's like to be in Berry Tomorrow other than the five members of Berry Tomorrow. No one will ever understand what it's like to write the songs in Berry Tomorrow other than the five members of Berry Tomorrow. So it's like there's that element of hesitance when anybody comes up to us to kind of say, we know because we've been burnt by it, you know? It's based on history. We've we've had that, you know, and we in places continue to have that. People that are wanting to um, you know, steer us in a way that arguably we know best now. You know, we're long enough in the tooth to know best what the career path of our band needs to be. Your other job is working in the NHS, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. When did you get into that? Well, it was about a similar times, about a year and a half or two years after I joined Barry Tomorrow, actually. I joined the NHS as a in zero hours contract admin assistant role and my whole family is pretty much in the NHS. Uh, my mom's side, so I've got aunties in the NHS. My, you know, my nan was part of it. Um, or certainly was part of healthcare, um, and so it's it's kind of in my blood, and I've always wanted to be part of, of that world. So, yeah, started there, worked every administrative job you could ever possibly think of, including folding letters for six months of my life, which I'll never get back. Um, oh wow! You know, I'm working in I'm an acute hospital, so a big hospital. Um, and then at a point in time, I just decided that, you know, I want I want this to be a dual career. And if I can make it work, it will be at the detriment probably of my own mental well-being or my own well-being in general, because I won't have any time off. But I'm, I made a conscious decision that I wanted to do that for my career path. And, and really over the last five years, six years, um, I always used to compartmentalize it. I always used to be like band, NHS, the two different things. And really over the last five years, I've discovered that they're exactly the same thing. And and it's really interesting in my late later part of my NHS career and certainly moving into senior management roles. Um, actually, the more and more I talk, it's talking in the same way as I talk about, you know, reducing stigma of mental health, um, everybody's voice, co-creation, um, supporting the people that matter, supporting the people that do the do. And and so, and well-being and all sorts of things. And actually, it's the same thing really moving now. So it becomes a lot easier for me to not compartmentalise and just say the same thing on stage as I would say in a meeting. Wow, that's so funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a lot easier to do as well because it's uh, you're not putting on different masks and putting on a different performance. You know, there's nothing. I've been lucky that I've been able to navigate, and part of that's you know through my privilege of being you know a white straight male. Other others in other demographics may not have got the same opportunity um, and certainly don't in places get the same opportunity that I've got so I'm very very lucky to, to have that so I'll do everything in my power to to kind of rectify people not having a voice and people not having um, and certainly organizations not having a full level of inclusivity when it comes to supporting um, you know the originality of and the amazing beautiful diverse communities that we have um, I think it's important that you know we focus on that and so in that I gain a lot from being in the NHS it's not nine to five for me it's my life you know and and certainly for someone that's an advocate for lived experience with mental health which I have you know obviously cannibal is completely around my own mental health my own depreciated mental health and 
And so it becomes a lot easier to be passionate about something when actually you see change happening because now I'm in a senior management role, I can take that change on myself. Was there was there a moment in time when you realised that was that was what you wanted to be about? You were about having empathy, understanding where different people are coming from and wanting to help others. Was there a time when you thought, yeah, that's, that is what I want to do with the band and the NHS? I mean, probably like putting it down on paper, like only the last, like, you know, last five years of my career. But as a person, like ethically, it's always something I've been driven towards. Like I've, I've, you know, you only need to look at the career of our band. Like we are the band that meets our fans because they're who matter. We are the band that supports um, people not paying for the right to meet a human being, which is absolutely bonkers. Like we are that band. And and so for me, I've always been driven in that world. Perhaps in the NHS world, I didn't feel that I had the authority to do do as much, but I've always been a provoker of thought. I've always tried to be a leader of cultural change. Um, and certainly an advocate for people like me that, um, you know, I'm not educated. I, I left school um, with some great GCSEs, but I, I dropped out of college. I didn't um, di- didn't get an A-level to my name um, and I've and pretty much had a, a struggle every single job that I've gone for um, since because people are uh, very judgmental when it comes to my academic achievements rather than what I have to offer. So, um, you know, and, and really I've seen a shift. It's almost like a, a perfect storm, really, of my own mental health, um, depreciated mental health, um, and then my recovery and, and what I would say recovery, my constant recovery, because, you know, I'm not there yet and I probably never will be. But it's about talking about it and reducing stigma and feeling that passion and that connection. So, so really I would say over the last five years I've been – driven to make it you know and and all consuming so you know perhaps back in the day I wouldn't have wanted to lose my job to you know against one of my driven mindsets you know I wouldn't have wanted to lose my job I'd be fearful of losing my job these days I don't care less (laughs) because it's my morals and it's my ethics and actually I'd rather not be in a band and I'd rather not be in a in the NHS if it meant that I had to sacrifice those morals and those ethics so um luckily touch word it's not it's not come to that, but certainly it creates it creates a character certainly in me in the band and in the NHS that that is kind of all consuming when it comes to believing in that stuff. You know, I I live it like that, and it gives me so much. It's not all a selfless act. It's it's it gives me so much back. It gives me energy. Um, it gives me money, and it gives me you know a profession. Um, that's all the same thing, really. So so yeah, I would say probably five years ago, six years ago was where I was like, I want to do both, and I want to do them in this same mindset so many people in our generation don't know what they want to do and you know there is that rhetoric i'm completely guilty of saying it in the past where you know you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it but that's that can be quite damaging can't it yeah i think so i think i think we always try and box things in to be honest with you bud like i think we as a society as you know an education system we try and box people into maths english science off you go you can be this, you can be a doctor, you can be a successful businessman. And, and success is not um, financial. Like success is, yeah, for some people it may be. For some people that's their as- at, um, aspiration and so be it, you know, congratulations to them. For other people it's betterment, for other people it's helping others. And we need to be more focused about what matters to us, you know, rather than what we want to be. Because I never wanted to be someone that's in a band, you know, 
getting paid to travel around the world and be in the NHS and be someone that had depreciated mental health and talks about it. It's just a situation that I've been thrust into. And and I've managed to capitalise on that, not only from a, a position point of view and being in a in a success in both elements, but also from a, a, a wellness point of view and, and a defining point of view. You know, every human on this planet is trying to find their purpose. That is the that is the secret of life, isn't it? Of finding a purpose. What why am I here? What am I gonna do with my time? It's the age-old question of life, it's like, what do I matter? Um, and for some that can be a really isolating experience. And I suppose what I'd say to people is it doesn't matter. Like yes, yeah, I think it can be damaging, but I also think it's something really aspirational to say, just be you. What 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 do you connect with? What do you stand for? And once you understand those fundamentals of like, what do you stand for? Who are you? What makes you you? Um, what don't you like? You know, what don't you stand for? Um, then I think it, it lends you into a better position of saying, well, what would I do? What, how far would I go to to really stand by that, you know, of what I stand for? How far am I willing to take it? And from that, then you can kind of almost come up with your own career path because you're like, well, I know if I went into that industry and someone said this to me, then I, I wouldn't be able to turn a cheek to that. So that wouldn't be the career for me. And that's a systemic issue in education, right? No doubt about it. It's, it's, but, you know, it's a huge systemic issue. Um, it's, it's the biggest issue we have is that we're not creating individuality. We're creating robots, you know, because that serves the purpose. And you either keep the people who are not connecting with education on a... Um, on a, I suppose, an austerity level of like, well, you're not a high achiever, so you're not going to make anything of you. So off to the factories you go um, and off to the manual labour jobs you go or, or agriculture or whatever it may be. And, oh, you high achievers are oh, doctors, nurses, finance, you know, businessmen, all this kind of stuff. And it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense because you absolutely can't drive productivity with a single mindset. Um, and so if you think about it from a business perspective, um, diverse thought and diverse innovations and vulnerabilities and cultural differences and backgrounds um, and experience is the thing that breeds success. Like no business is made from the same mindset of their whole business. It doesn't make sense. We need diverse thought. We need diverse um, interest and we need passion. And what we tend to do is that when we force people into boxes, you completely strip them of any kind of passion because they've been made to do it. We all know, you know, we're all kind of anti-authority and that someone tells us to do something. We're like, well, I want to, I want to want to do it. I don't want you to tell me to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think education is really guilty of, of that. Um, I think our country in the UK is completely, uh, utterly guilty of that. You know, we, we believe in austerity. We believe that if you're poor, then you're not worth anything. We believe that or you mustn't have worked hard um, because if you work hard, then it, you're a success. And that's what it's based on. It's absolute rubbish because what, you know, external factors, family wealth, situations that we can't control, like all of those are external impacts on our success in life. And actually for some people, they go, well, I don't want all of that because that would be detrimental to my values and what I stand for. So it's just an interesting concept, really. It makes me think about how how confidence is such a key part of it. I've seen within people that I've grown up with, some people are given that confidence at a young age. People are kind of socialized to to be loud and to say they want something and to go out there and grab it. And, you know, I've met other people who 
who who weren't necessarily taught that you know people who weren't taught that you know you can just go out there and and grab it and just do it and it makes me think there's a huge class divide there isn't there yeah, no doubt uh, you know we have class division you know that's what i was kind of alluding to there i suppose is that you know we have that you know why is it that someone that has grown up to try and better themselves and break the cycle that they've had within you know perhaps an impoverished background or a different cultured background and they want to do something and be better and be amazing um what you know why should they walk into an interview with any uh, any other um feeling than confidence you know mm. and there's a big difference between confidence and competence and i th- don't think we really address that like in that we if we truly live in an inclusive world we need to give everybody the opportunity to succeed um whatever they need and that doesn't matter whether you're talking about race um religion gender sexuality um disability non-disability like whatever that matters we need to be able to because there's a big difference between um equality and equity and equity is providing an equal opportunity for people um to succeed in whatever they whatever they want to do or or yearn to do or pause them forward with their passions so um i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done when it comes to class divide um but you know it's it's interesting with me you know i'm i'm a I came from a, a, my family was working class, um, grew up in a two up, two down in Halifax, um, moved down south. Um, my mom trained when she was in her 30s to be a nurse. Um, my dad's a driving instructor and they did really well for themselves. And, you know, I've certainly done well for myself. I'm probably in, well, I'm definitely in the middle class background. But for me, um, every single, as I said before, every single job I've ever gone for, it's, oh, have you got a degree? Have you got a master's? Have you got a, you know, whatever? And that bears no resemblance. It took me a long, long time to not fear that. And I still do, you know, I'll still try and make up for that in a conversation. I'll still say, oh, well, I've got the equivalent experience or, but, you know, it's, it's drilled into us that education is the only route um, and academics and accolades are the only way forward. So if I've got a master's and person next to me doesn't have a master's then I'm better than that person for the job absolutely not unless it's a um say you know actual requirement of knowledge so for example you know a doctorate in and being a doctor well of course it's a natural you know requirement to know those things and have proven without reasonable doubt that you are qualified for that job but when it comes to just passion and yearning I don't just want bums on seats in my staff I want people that want to be there. I want people that are relishing in being there and will be there for years to come rather than just a stepping stone through because they've seen a career that they want. I, you know, and an aspiration is a, is a wonderful thing, um, a really, really wonderful thing, but not when it's at the detriment of others. When the band started picking up and becoming its own career, were you ever tempted to, to say, to, you know, to stop the NHS stuff and to, to do the band solely full time? Yeah, we kind of did, if I'm honest. Like, we, we had a really, really busy year in about 2010. We were in America three times, and Japan and and, um, and Europe, and, and I was on a um, temporary contract. So, actually, for me, I could I could just dip in and out. So, I've had the experience of, you know, for example, 2010, pretty much an entire year of being on tour. So, I've had that experience, you know, and there's a lot of stigma when you first start a band to go pro and be, oh, we're pro, we're pro now, we're in a professional band. And, 
there's so much like I look back now and it, it is hilarious to think that we thought that that mattered but in that time it, it probably did we were like yeah we're pro now we're on tour we're in a van and we're traveling around doing our thing and you know I wouldn't dream of saying those words nowadays because you know it's just reality we're in a band that's what we do people like our band people don't like our band that's absolutely fine um me being having another job or not having another job is is up to me and, and we're still a professional band we're still a band that releases records and tours internationally so yeah I mean I I think there's I think you always when you're younger I mean we're talking I was 19 years old like you know I was I wanted to see the world I wanted to do this I wanted to do something that I loved and perhaps at that time I didn't know that the NHS could also be that for me as well as being in a band you know and both have a really great impact on each other you know, being in the NHS certainly impacts how I am on stage and who I am and how I connect with different cultures. And being in a band and seeing the world and meeting so many amazing people around this planet has also given me an amazing insight when it comes to um, who I am and a different perspective. You know, people, and really over the last two or three years, I've seen the NHS really yearn for people that are kind of going to be those boat rockers or those provokers of thought. And you know, you wouldn't have seen it all those years ago. I'm very, very visibly tattooed. You know, I'm very, I look, I don't look corporate and I make a real conscious effort not to look corporate. And and for me, it's a big changing changing of the tides really in certainly in the NHS and healthcare for people to look at someone like me and go, you're, you're at the table, you know, you're here, you're at the table, you can, you can speak about what you want to speak about, not what we're telling you to speak about. So that was quite an interesting dynamic. And so, that's why around five, six years ago, it was a, a moment of going, you know what? Like, I don't need to say I'm pro in the band because the band is impacting this and I just need to tell everyone that I'm in the band and that's they need to make reasonable adjustments if they can for me to do that job, you know? Thinking about your role as a spokesperson for mental health in the band and also at the NHS, for me, a lot of mental health comes down to, you know, we're all on a personal journey. You know, we're always trying to, we're always trying to better ourselves and we're, we're always learning. And I wonder if you can put a parallel to that in the band, because surely the band is a journey. You know, you're learning different things all the time. You might be making mistakes sometimes. How do you reconcile that idea or, or come to peace with it? Is that something that all five members of Bury Tomorrow you've, you've talked about together as a group? It's hard, man. You know, like we always put, we always put goals. There's always aspirations that we want to do. You know, obviously if the band dropped off and people weren't into us anymore, then that's a different level of conversation. You know, that's a, well, that's that, the bits that we liked about it. Um, you know, once those negatives outweigh the positives, then I won't do it anymore. You know, um, once we can't do what we need to do to, to see fans and see progression, because also we're a business, man. It's not just all about, um, you know, all about the experiences. It's also about, you know, I want to see us get bigger. Uh, you know, I've got an aspiration that our band's the biggest metal band in the world. Like, you know, and that's, it, it, you know, and the longer you go on, the more you see, you know, where your place is in the in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, we have discussions about, you know, what where where is our business at? Where are we at mentally? And, you know, certainly this year has been a really um a thought-provoking year for us when it comes to you know where do we sit here are we sustainable um playing shows is our life like are the negatives outweighing the positives because you know over this time arguably they are because they're not you know there's a lot of rubbish that goes on in the music industry a lot um you know there's a lot of politics 
How do you navigate that? You just got to. <laughs> I mean, if you want to continue being in a band and you certainly want to see the the success of a band, you have to navigate it. You have to get through it. You have to put it, you know, and really hold on to the fact that we will be playing live shows again. And that's the only way you can do it because if this was life now, we wouldn't be in a band anymore. What would be the point? Like, why would we want to? I don't want to be in a studio band. I want to be in a band that tours around the world. So, um, because that's where I get to meet the people that actually matter, you know, the media, the labels, the managers, even they don't matter to me. Like it's, you know, they've got their own parts of playing it. They've got their own mortgages to pay. They've got their own agendas that they need to, to, you know, and their own purpose. For me, it's about the only people that matter are the four other band members in my band that have got the same vision as me. And then the people that actually make that vision come to fruition, which is the fans. Like, And it's really, really simple. When people hail us as this band that, oh, you worship your fans, you love your fans, it's like, yeah, because that's that's the only people that matter. Like, no, nothing else matters because actually, and also as a business move, they're the people that pay your bills. They're the people that buy your records and facilitate you to do this. So why would I not give them the most amount of praise and respect out of all of those people I've just mentioned. Having that direct communication with your fans, obviously there's a hugely positive element of that. Is there a scary part of that as well? Yeah, I mean, the scary side is the fragility of it, isn't it? Like, you know, in all artistic industry, like if our fans turned against us for whatever reason that may be, like, or didn't like us anymore, or we weren't cool anymore, like, you know, then then that would suck because you've invested a large amount of emotion and passion into a product or, you know, or your hobby turned job to then have that, the people that can facilitate that happening or not happening um, turn against you. Well then, yeah, that would, that would suck. And that is the, the anxiety about releasing music. It's not just the excitement of, wow, what, how are they going to react? It's the, how are they going to react question, you know? So there's a, you know, there's a big element there. I think once you get past a certain point, that becomes less and less because I think for us, we know who our fans are. We know what they like. Yes, we want to gain more of those people, but we want to convert people rather than, you know, suddenly think that all of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world that know our band will suddenly all turn against us. I mean, unless we do something absolutely cataclysmically wrong, I can't really see that happening. So the fragility slowly, once you have more of your career positive than you do negative, or you have more of your career affirming that you have a solid fan base, then it's the easier those, those kind of things become. But yeah, I mean, you can't help but think that who has the power in this situation, quite rightly so in, in that thought mindset is that, you know, quite rightly so they've got the power because they're the people that make the decisions and buy the merch. Like, it's not me that does that. It's not me that's come up with it. I've just wrote, written a song and they've connected with it. You know, it's the way the power should be. Label managers shouldn't have the power. Media shouldn't have the power. The the fans should have the power, you know. And the cool thing about Barry Tomorrow is that you have a fan culture. Yeah, I mean, we're, our culture is just that mindset of they're important. You know, they're the most important. We're not these ethereal rock star characters that believe that we're God's gift to, to art and music. Like, nah, like that's not why I got into it. I got into it so we could play shows and we could connect with people. I'm not going to stand on stage and think oh, I'm any better than any single person that stood in front of me because I'm damn sure that I'm not. 
I'm definitely not. I've definitely got my sins and my skeletons and I've definitely made mistakes in my life and will continue to make mistakes. So um, I don't look out and think, wow, I'm what a godlike and look at me, I'm this uh, omnipotent character that um, God's give to, to, you know, to music. Like, absolutely not. It's a load of rubbish, especially in our kind of genre, which is heavy, emotional, brash. Like what I can say is that we live by our morals and our ethics and we believe in our fans overall. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. Do you ever have to kind of check yourself when you're when you're doing so much of the admin of, of band stuff, which takes up so much emotional intelligence and energy? Do you ever have to kind of pull yourself away from that and be like, no, this isn't why we do it? You know, do you ever have to pinch yourself and refocus on on the reason why you're doing all this? Yeah, I mean, it get, as I said, it kind of gets easier as you get older because people stop trying to change you, <laughs> stop trying to do anything different with you because we're belligerent old buggers. So, like, there is that element. Um, you know, you've got to check why you do it. You always have to affirm why are we doing this, you know? And and you know, there's always calls to the line of like, is this expectation? Is this exploitation to our fans? Is this pushing the line? Is this worth? If I was a fan, what would I? think about this is this worth the money we're asking for you know and the bigger you get the more you charge for shows the more you charge for t-shirts you know and it becomes difficult to kind of keep that on a kilt you know would i would i want to sell our t-shirts for five pounds at a show yeah i would is that a smart business move no like is that sustainable is the question is it a sustainable business model no so there comes a point where you know I'm printing on a T-shirt that costs less than what I'm charging people for it because there's a name on it and a design on it. Is that exploitation? Well, in some degree, yes, it is. So I can't sit here and tell you that I'm this ethereal character that is all, you know, or altruistic character that is all for, you know, not exploiting fans when actually, arguably, I'm charging them an extortionate amount of money to come and see us play shows. But I'll do everything in my power not to step that line and make it worthwhile, you know, and... Is that worth it? Is the quality of that worth it? And that's what we constantly need to check ourselves on. Is what we've asked, would we do the same in in that in their position? Is it worth it for a very tomorrow fan? And that is a hard thing to do when you're in it because I'm never going to sit here and go, wow, charging someone £30 a ticket to come and see our band is worth it. Would I do that? Well, I don't know because I've never seen our band. <laughs> so it's like, you know. There's so much money that goes into production and then paying people who are making the shows happen and making the records and the merch happen. And there's so many people it has to filter through before it gets to you. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we see we see a pittance of it, to be honest with you. And that is part of the, polit- the political minefield that you have in a band. When you see the outgoings that people make off your band and, and regular outgoings that people make off your band, it becomes a, a more of a difficult conversation to have, doesn't it? Because you're you're sat there going, well, we create it. Um, so <laughs> why are people getting the money for it? You know, it, it, and it becomes difficult. You know, we've had really, really bad financial situations in our band in the past where, you know, everybody else seems to be getting paid, um, and getting paid regular and we get paid nothing. And, you know, we had that, um, not that long ago, not many albums ago that that was the case. And, you know, that, that becomes really difficult because people will always tell you that they're as invested as you are in the band's success. They're not. Not at all. There isn't a person alive that's as as invested in our success as the five members of our band. Like they're not. They can't be. They didn't make it. So it's it's something that I really think labels, media, 
managers really need to start getting their head around, which is you are not as invested as we are in our band. Not, you're not, you can't be because you haven't done it since you were 16 years old. You, you haven't. So you have an agenda. So let's be honest about it. Let's put it on the table. And that's okay because there's things that we use of all of those people to, to mean that this machine works and moves forward. But it's about being honest about it. And the problem with the artistic industry, and it's all things like model agencies, it's like um, galleries, it's like all sorts of stuff, you know, agencies, you know, in all aspects. It's all about how they fit in. But the demographic of change or the demographic of um, worth is certainly a bit skewed when it comes to artists versus support Whereas it's not supporting artists because artists always get paid less than the other people. Like they do, you know, they, they always get the, the crappy end of the percentage deal. Um, and yeah, the music industry needs to function. Yeah, you need distribution. Yeah, you need packaging. Yeah, you need recording and writing and support. But it's certainly skewed on its head when it comes to being honest about actually what we're in it for. Um, because we're all not in it for the same thing. And that's why I say the, the people that are in it for the same thing are the people spending money on us being a band because they clearly are invested in it. They're not taking anything off us. And like our fans don't take anything from us. They don't, they're just investing in us. So, you know, if we were to look at a bit different business model outside of the music industry or the artistic industry, well, what other model would you have? Consumer is important. Consumer is only you know, they are God to us. You know, they are. And, and so if we flipped it on its head and went, stop exploiting them, cut everybody else out. Yes, you need production, but it should be on the terms of the, the, the artist. Then, um, then we'd be in a different position because you'd be able to make. This is why so many bands get dragged for doing the things that I hate, like VIP meet and greets and, uh, you know, exploiting fans with minimal stuff, paying £50 for a pick that someone's used and sweat on. Like, it's it's because there's so much external pull and it's whether you get swept along with that and go, well, fuck it, I'm going to move my vista of, um, you know, worth or priority away from our fans and think about money now because everybody else is telling me that this is the way to go. And there's so many bands that I know, physically know, like actually in person and friends of ours that have been pulled along that and been guilty of doing that. Because then you live in this really odd world of like non-reality where you're like, oh, well, we are godlike. Look at us. We're amazing. And we should be charging people extortionate amounts of money. It makes no sense. Danny, thanks so much for coming on the show. And thanks for being so candid. I mean, there's so much about the music industry that, like you said just then, people don't like talking about these things. Whereas, you know, that makes no sense. I feel like there's not a lot of transparency in the music industry, but there's no reason why it can't be symbiotic between a band and a label or, or a press person or, or the media or anyone. Yeah, I think people are really worried, you know, and, and, and they're worried because of the fragility of being in, in the music industry. Like that, that's fact and foremost. There isn't a person alive that is, is not fragile. And all of those people I mentioned, it may sound like I'm really against you know, I've had labels all of our life. I've had managers all of our life. I've used media and press all of our life. Like, it's not like they can't be, a, as you said, a symbiotic kind of relationship, but it must be honest. And people need to be very, very candid with, this is what I'm going to take and this is what I'm going to give. Because they can't tell me that they're going to give me the passion. 
because I don't, I, and certainly when you've been in the music industry as long as we have, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that you're invested in us. I want to hear what you're going to give us in this relationship and what we can give to you. And what we can give to you is our product, which is we're investing time, we're investing money, we're investing energy in this product. Do you believe in the product? Yes or no? Okay. If you do believe in the product, what are you going to offer for the money that we will end up expending? And that's as simple as it is. And I think people are really hard to, they get really worried about like, well, if we don't have that, then we can't be a thing. Well, I'm telling everyone, you can all be in a band. You're all, we're no different to anybody else that picks up a guitar or starts screaming or starts drumming for a living. Like, they're no different. We're just lucky. Like, and that is it. We make some, we've made some damn good tunes over the years and we continue to make some damn good tunes. And I truly believe in that. But are we some kind of prodigy musicians? No, we learned on the road. We did what we needed to do. We grafted our asses off and we supported our fans. And that is the reason why Barry Tomorrow is as big as we are. No other reason. You know, we've got a good singer and I scream and I do my thing, but we live by ethics, we live by morals, and that's why we're in the band we are today. Danny, thank you so much. Have you got anything coming up you can talk about? Have you got any any exclusives for me? <laughs> oh, it's a hard, hard year to ask for exclusives, isn't it? <laughs> Bloody hell. Man, you know what? Like, we know that next, this year's cancelled. You know, we're at the end of it now, which seems absolutely mental to think. But um, hopefully, you know, I suppose the exclusives are we're all waiting for that vaccine, aren't we? And, and my exclusive really is that the sooner people um, collectively come together to to be kind to each other and to think about the greater good, which is getting rid of this absolutely ridiculous virus that has affected all of our lives universally. The minute we come together and we re- realise that we need to do that, the sooner we can play shows, the sooner we can get out to start doing those leisure activities that we, we really need for our own mental well-being. So, so just keep safe, keep spaced, all of the other bollocks that the government has said, like, you know, just be sensible with it. I'm not telling anyone to do what they don't think that they need to do, but just be sensible with it. And, and fingers crossed, we'll be playing shows at the start of next year, if not summer next year. Good to hear. Cheers, Danny. No worries, buddy. Thank you very much. So that was Danny Winter Bates from Berry Tomorrow. You've been listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. If you can rate it, if you can review it and subscribe, if you could tell your friends, tell that motorbike that's outside being real loud, if you could tell them all to check out this podcast, that would be massively appreciated. The more people we can get listening to this, the more great guests we can get in the future. So cheers for listening. Here's Coxbarrow to play you out. Go well. I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.